I think the biggest reason why people don't start something is because they're so afraid to fail. And I experienced the same thing. I really had to learn how to redefine failure. In a startup, you fail multiple times along the way and you just have to get comfortable with this idea. Try to learn as much as possible from the mistakes that you make and move on. There is no time to be consumed by a mistake that may have happened. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Glossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Anna Kraft is in the driver's seat today. She grew up in Germany and pursued a degree in international project engineering. She moved to the United States and made her home in Milwaukee. Anna spent multiple years working as a project engineer before deciding to embrace her calling to become an entrepreneur. She launched Xenia Workwear, a startup tackling an issue she continually ran into, a lack of feminine safety shoe options. Now let's dive into her story. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B coming to you, and I have Anna Craft in the driver's seat today. Thank you for joining me, Anna. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. It is truly my honor, and I am really excited to pick your brain. Uh, some for my selfish, uh, personal business entrepreneur reasons, and other just to learn your story. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. I found you on Instagram, like I find so many, and it caught my attention because you're tackling the apparel space, and we'll dive into that a little more, but I want to back up a little bit. The audience has already heard your recorded bio, so they have an idea of what's coming, but if we go back, what even got you started in this? Because your your target market that you originally focused on wasn't even the automotive industry, even though I think it's it's very relatable and makes sense in the automotive space as well. But what got you into this? You know, I never planned to go into the safety footwear and apparel industry production. Um, I basically started the company out of my own frustration. I worked in manufacturing and engineering for many years. I loved my job working on these fast-paced projects, working with a bunch of guys usually in multi-million dollar planning sessions. And while I loved my job, I hated to wear my clunky work boots. And I had multiple pairs of them. Usually the day would go like this. I would have to lead a critical planning session with usually I was the only woman in the room with 10 to 20 seasoned engineers. Uh, we would finish the session and one of the guys would say, all right, guys, let's wrap it up and go out on the shop floor. And I was the only one in the room saying like, wait, everyone, I have to run back to my desk and put on my clunky work boots because you need them on the shop floor. So, and then I would run back to my desk and put on one of my two pairs of terrible shoes that I hated so much. And after years of complaining, I decided to do something about this. I was so tired of the whole shrink it and pink it industry where companies took a men's jacket or men's boots, make them smaller and make them pink oh, yeah. or purple. And I think, yeah, women deserve better workwear. So that's how, how I started the company out of my own experience and frustration. Did you ever think when you were a little girl that you would ever be doing this? 
never. <laughs> I mean, when I was a little girl, I had so many, so many ideas of what I wanted to do, but launching my own company was never on the list. Uh, it kind of developed over time. I, I was fascinated by technology since an early age. I like to do things that girls were not supposed to do. And my dad did a really nice job teaching me how to use electric tools around the house, how to fix things. So I, I'm grateful that I got to learn those skills. I, I can fix more things around the house than my husband does. <laughs> so <That's> awesome. <laughs> uh, got into engineering, living in Germany to kind of get into the renewable energy space. But that's not the path that I ended up taking after I moved to the US and instead worked for a few other companies until I started my own work work company. I know some people are probably curious because you said it so casually right now because I lived in Germany. <laughs> it's just in passing. So just to, I guess, put it out there, you were born in Germany? The short answer is I'm from Germany. The longer is I was born in Kazakhstan and moved to Germany when I was 10. So I went, went to school in Kazakhstan for... For the geographically challenged like myself, <laughs> where is that at? Okay. Uh, it's bordering Russia, China, and a few other stand countries like Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and the South. It's a pretty big country with a lot of natural resources, um, including uranium. Uh, but not a lot of people know it. And I, at some point, I want to change it and put Kazakhstan on the map for really great tourism, great hospitality, amazing food. But while I was... While well, I loved certain things about Kazakhstan, I always hated it, how women were treated and the opportunities they had. Mm -hmm. What would you equate it to? Just because I'm not familiar with the, that country. Is it in Russia? or it, it used to be part of the Soviet Union. That's why uh, one of the languages in Kazakhstan is Russian. So my first uh -huh. language is Russian. I learned Russian in school. And after the Soviet Union fell apart, Kazakhstan became its own country. They were bringing the Kazakh language back. So that's some, another language I had to learn in school. I'm terrible, terrible at it. But um, so, yeah, it's not part of Russia anymore, but used to be. And forgive me, does it start with a K or a P? K. K, okay. Kazakhstan. Yeah, and spelled K-A-Z-A. -A. Now I got myself into something. <laughs> K-H-S-T-A. I was just curious if it was yeah. a K because yeah. like listening, it can sometimes be hard to catch if it like the K or the P. No, the K. Wow. So you were born there. Mm -hmm. How long did you live there? Until 10. When I turned 10, my family decided to move to Germany because my dad had German roots and there was not much opportunity in Kazakhstan. It's it's a beautiful country, but unfortunately very corrupt. So my parents made the decision to move to Germany because they had the opportunity. Can I ask a question about there? Because you had mentioned that you didn't like the way women are treated. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think just to make a, an analogy or to help the listeners understand, like what about it just didn't sit well with you? Um, I would call it... Um, a moderately Muslim country. And because of that influence, women had to fulfill certain roles. And although it's actually surprising, although there were so many Russian families or non-Muslim families, they still adopted this similar culture that women belong to stay like in the house. They're supposed to raise children. They're not really allowed uh, to work or take on any leadership positions. A few stories that I can tell when I traveled back to Kazakhstan, I was asked to sit in the back seat so that another man could sit in the front seat. These are simple things. And I was at a dinner once where, because we were Russian, we were allowed to sit at the table. But the wife of that person who cooked the multiple meals for the day, she was sitting in a chair in the middle of the room, far away from us. And my mom was saying like, hey, come on, like you should sit with us at the table. And she's like, you know, my culture does not allow it. And like, I always looked at these situations and thought, this is so wrong. Like, this this is not right. And coming to Germany, I saw this completely different picture of women having opportunities. Women could do whatever they wanted. You had the Angela Merkel as the chancellor of Germany. So women in leadership positions. So it was a huge cultural shift for me between seeing Kazakhstan versus Germany. 
did you always feel when you were younger that like when you observed that culture, like this is not me? Yeah, I was always a slightly rebellious kid. If something doesn't feel right, uh, I tend to speak up and I really did not <laughs> did not like to see those women in, in those situations. And when I had to decide my own path, just create my own career, one of the number one priorities was that I need a job where I will have to be independent. I would never, ever live the life of the women that I saw in Kazakhstan who were fully dependent on their husbands or living in these incredibly uninspiring lives. But that's my personal judgments. I think having a family is wonderful, but they should at least have the opportunity to pursue something that they are passionate about outside of the household. And maybe that is in the home. Maybe it's outside the home. Exactly. But it sounds like the impression you got is that wouldn't necessarily have been celebrated. Yeah. Now, your husband is from where? He is from Moscow. So he was born in Moscow and moved to the U.S. when he was around four. So we speak Russian at home. My best language is probably German. We met in the U.S. and now have families all over the world. Holy mackerel. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's mind-blowing to me. He's from Moscow. Like I said, I'm geographically challenged. Like, how far away were you guys technically then? When he was in Moscow and you're in... I'm going to slaughter the name of it. That's why I've been avoiding saying it. Oh, my God. The distance is pretty big. Russia is the biggest country it's in massive. the world. Yeah, it's massive. So M Moscow is closer to Europe and Kazakhstan is a bit closer to, to China. So it's considered Central Asia. Um, Moscow is more part, like very close to Europe in certain, in certain parts is considered kind of the European continent. It's still mind boggling to me. Wow. But you guys met here in the States and I, I bring this up early in the conversation simply because you and your husband are partners in your company, not only married life partners, right? But business partners as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And you want to talk about uh, the opposite of what you saw between the ages of birth and 10 years old. That's awesome. So you're in Germany. How many years did you spend in Germany then? Uh, I spent the longest part of my life in Germany, about 15 years before I came to the U.S. for an internship. So you were how old when you came to the U.S.? I think I was 24, around 24. 24. Now, did you get your degree while you were in Germany or did you get it here? So I was studying international project engineering in Germany mm -hmm. um, for multiple reasons. One was I wanted to be independent. I wanted to have a positive impact in the world and so engineering. And I also hated it when people said women are not supposed to do something. I'm like, oh, let me show you. <laughs> I think we're all kindering spirits in this tribe that you're talking to right now. <laughs> Like I think all of us at wrong. one point in our life or another, and maybe still are incredibly motivated when we're told we can't do something, <laughs> we will go do it oh. just to show that we can do it and maybe do it twice and take pictures the second yeah. time. <laughs> exactly. So, and because it was an international program, they're like, you're not allowed to stay in Germany or go to Austria or Switzerland. So you have to apply in a different country. And I had so many exotic countries on my list. And then I got a position, really cool position in Waukesha, Wisconsin. I'm like, where the hell is Waukesha? <laughs> we we got to pause. <laughs> For my United States born and raised peeps, you have all these options in these exotic countries. And you end up in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes make fun of it because it's a smaller town, but I, I love Waukesha. The other opportunity was El Salvador, where I could have worked in a really cool company, but I wouldn't have had the same freedom to travel what I had in the U.S., and I really appreciate it. It's a country where you can see anything you want. If you want deserts, mountains, beaches, forests, name it. You can have everything in one country, and I always appreciated freedom, and that's why I decided to make the move and come to Waukesha and worked at a really cool steel cutting tool company. My project was heat treatment of steel, which I was super fascinated about. So yeah, and then during the time I met my husband, Dimitri. And he happened to be in Wisconsin as well. Yeah. <laughs> that is outstanding. <laughs> now, just out of curiosity, because you know, I'm more familiar with colleges here in the U.S. and in which majors are male-dominated, when you were taking your, your courses and pursuing your study in Germany, 
Was it more balanced between male and female when we talk about engineering? Um, not really. Uh, I think the rough numbers would be, I think we had about eight girls in the class and out of 40 students. So it was predominantly guys. And in the beginning, we had to prove ourselves. But after a few weeks, the guys were coming to us to ask for some help. <laughs> but we, we loved the program and we had a really good time. One of my friends was a freaking amazing woman. She moved from the Ukraine to Germany to study this. She finished as the best in class. I'm so proud of her. She works at Bosch now and she just crushed it. Just crushed it. Yeah. And German was not even her first language. She speaks, I think, five different languages and just crushed this engineering program. That is outstanding. So here you are working for this steel company. It's a steel company, right? Yeah. Steel cut, Cutting Tool Company. And how old were you? You said 24? I think I was 24 when I came for the first time. And then a year, a year and a half later, I moved. I moved here. So I did an internship here. That's when we met. And then I went back to Germany to finish my degree. In between, I decided to go to South America for a whole month because my friend and I promised ourselves that we would travel Chile and Peru for a whole month. So did that and then moved to the U.S. to get my... Uh, my green card and get get my work permit and find a job. So that was an exciting time. Were you terrified? I was terrified the first time I came. <laughs> it was it was so different. It was my first time living so far away. Your English is amazing, but did you speak fluent English when you came? I did speak some English. So I had to learn a lot of the industrial terms, especially in the heat treatment and the steel cutting tool industry, but I had decent English. What was surprising, I had this incredibly long flight, landed in Chicago. My boss picked me up from the airport. Uh, we drove like two hours to Waukesha, and then he handed me my car keys for an automatic car. And in Germany, all I knew how to drive was a stick shift car. <laughs> here, You're like, it's missing a pedal. Exactly. What do I do? I'm like, here I am, completely jet lagged after an incredibly long flight. And he's handing me these keys and tells me, now you have to take the highway to drive back to your hotel. I'm like, sorry, what? <laughs> so I took like, a couple <laughs> loops in the parking lot. I'm like, really? I'm missing a pedal here. I'm like, something is wrong. So, but it worked out well. It's crazy because it, it's opposite here. Like, just about everyone drives an automatic. I know how to drive standard. I, really like mm -hmm. standard. That's interesting. So in Germany, standards, more of the standard. Yeah. Is that accurate or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very accurate. And my husband loves stick shift cars, but I'm like, the only way I enjoy a stick shift car if it has enough horsepower. I'm with you on a like, like, what's the point? If, if I'm going to drive standard and go through that effort, mm -hmm. better have some get up. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to drive a family car that's a standard. That's just, that just sucks. Yeah. But a sports car, I'm game. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. 100% agree. So you have a little bit of a lead foot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm, I would call myself a careful driver, but I love, love speed. Yeah, I'm with you. I am absolutely with you on that. So engineering, how were you received? Because Wisconsin, I mean, when I hear smaller town, I've never been to that town, but I think of more like conservative. Mm -hmm. Um. And here you are coming from another country, and you're a female mm -hmm. in a male-dominated industry, in a blue-collar type of company. Yeah, I would say I was very well-received. And I have to say, I was actually positively surprised about the welcoming nature of Midwesterners mm -hmm. in general. I, I was impressed how nice people were. Of course, I was the only woman in my, in my department, besides this one other facility manager, she had multiple tattoos. You said badass. She's she's like a rock star. Oh, a total right rock star. Like she was the production manager for the whole facility. So she would walk out on the shop floor of her beautiful long hair and like her tattoos all over her arms. And she knew what's up. So she was the only other woman on the team. What, what did that mean to you? Like seeing that? What was that like? That was really cool to see. Again, women in these non-traditional fields, there were not many of them. And I loved her confidence. And she was actually one of the inspirations why I started the safety shoe company because she hated steel safety shoes as well because they were not designed for women. And uh, she helped me pick my pair. And like, we both hated them. I'm like, you know, 
I, when I started the company, I thought about Angie and how she, <laughs> how this baddest woman, it changed her whole look and appearance when she had to put on her clunky boots that didn't really fit well. They didn't match her, her style. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and I ask about that, Anna, because as women, sometimes we don't even maybe, I don't know if recognize the magnitude of just seeing a woman in those roles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it kind of melts away some of the angst. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious if something like that, I mean, coming from another country, being one of the only, or being the only female in your department, and sounds like the the men are all very inviting, but seeing a woman in that leadership role, it's like, okay. Yeah. No, this was really powerful uh, for me too, to have someone like her to like look up to and to ask her questions. She showed what's possible that you can be successful in this field, leading a team of men. And I think 99% of the operation uh, were men, of course. And she, Mm -hmm. she built this amazing relationship with them and she got shit done. That's what it's about. Now, do you still work there, Anna? No, not at all. So after that company, I spent my first internship in quality assurance and then I came back to write my bachelor's thesis about heat treatment of seal. And then uh, when I finally moved to the U.S., I started working for a consulting company called Project Success based in Atlanta. And we worked a lot with different manufacturing clients. So one of my clients was Caterpillar, where I had to help them with like highly critical projects, like footprint optimization project, where they had to move out of, let's say, four buildings into two, then out of two into one like mm-hmm. disassembling machines, building new foundations for those machines, moving things over while production was running. So it was a massive, massive project and one of the best experiences in my life. And again, I really loved working with my team, loved the job. But then at some point when things started to slow down and I started to get bored, I'm like, okay, I need to do something else with my life. I hated the times when when the exciting part of the project is done. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have much to do. I'm like, okay, what else? <laughs> what else should I do? Well, that's the thing with any type of project management. It ebb and flows. Mm-hmm. There's like moments where you're drowning mm-hmm. and working ridiculous hours. And then it's hurry up and wait moments as well. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I, I do project management as well. And it there's kind of like a thrill to it. Yeah. Like when you get to that implementation piece and it's just like, ooh, no, it was fun. you know, and not everyone is cut out to do that because some people just get way too stressed and then there's other people that can handle it. And it sounds like you can handle it and almost thrive in that space. For sure. I, I love the action. And uh, as soon as that massive project was done, I decided to first quit my job, but then my company asked me to, to stay on longer. I'm like, okay, how about I stay on? Only for a few days when I'm needed. When I'm not needed, I don't want to get paid. I want to be home and I want to work on a separate project. And they're like, cool. That was kind of the perfect uh, setup. You still had some steady income while you were building your company. I was ready to quit my job, but then it turned out to be the perfect situation. Serendipity. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. A lot of people want to sit there and identify problems or gaps. A lot of people do that. Not a lot of people take it to that next level like you did. Mm-hmm. Was it scary? I mean, I I sit there and think about it. It's like someday I want to, you know, I have Femcanic Garage and I want to grow that to where I leave my corporate job someday. But it's scary. It's terrifying. What gave you the courage to finally make the leap? Yeah, it was probably a one-year process to finally get started. Um, My husband and I talked about what we wanted to do. I told him, like, I need more action in my life. I will either push my company to put me on more exciting projects. I was working on the FIFA World Cup, which I love. Again, super stressful time of my life, but it was so much fun. So we gave ourselves a full year to figure out if we wanted to stay in the corporate world. And in this case, he would have done his MBA. And I already looked up multiple master's programs for electrical engineering. Or we would start a business. So by the end of that year, we're like, okay, now we have to make a decision. So we decided to go away from our house. It was a couple hours up north. Booked a place and swatted out a bunch of different ideas that we had we brought an easel pad you know these like huge sticky papers walk people what swap means you're speaking my language sister (laughs) i think you and i are kindred souls for sure but help people understand 
Why did you do that process? What's the value in it? Um, to be honest, I'm not even sure if this is the right way to evaluate a business, but SWOT means evaluating an idea for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So you kind of create, um, how do you call it, uh, a quadrant, four boxes, and then you, you select and write down an idea. And then in this case, it was different business ideas. So we wrote down different strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and how many total business ideas did you did you have down? I think we had five or six different ones. And I'm still coming up with new ones. I still keep writing them down. I, I get it. <laughs> it never stops. Serial entrepreneur. I get it. Oh, my goodness. It's usually, you know, there's an interesting approach to motivation. Some people think about the things that bring them joy, that they enjoy doing in life and do more of that. I get very motivated by things that I'm frustrated by. Like I, well, when I moved to the U.S., I was so frustrated by the almost non-existing recycling system, like different sustainability-related topics, um, the amount of like plastic trash by the rivers and the beaches. So after complaining, it's mind-boggling, isn't after it? After a lot of complaining, I started a local group called Milwaukee Talks Green to do different talks around sustainability and organize cleanups around the city. So so that was just a small, small thing. I want to pause you for one moment because what you just said is massively powerful, but I think some folks may miss it. And the message that you just gave, Anna, is the exact reason why you launched a company within the last, what, two yeah. years? Two and a half years, yeah. And you're doing really well even through COVID. You launched your business right before COVID hit. <laughs> and you grew. You grew during COVID. And you got some massive investments. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you you got some significant investment into your company. It depends who you ask. I think it was a really nice... Nice investment. We raised seven hundred fifty thousand in twenty nineteen. We're raising. I have to raise half a million dollars by Thursday. Yesterday I was freaking out, and my parents asked, "Like, what? What? What is scheduled for your week?" I'm like, "I have to raise half a million dollars by Thursday." So you're like, "Cool, <laughs> chew on that, folks." <laughs> yeah. The thing I want people to capture about what you said about, "Hey, I was frustrated." It made me upset. Instead of complaining about it, you moved your feet, mm-hmm. right? You didn't wait for something to happen. You made something happen. That's the secret to all of this. You know what I mean? I had an interesting conversation with my kids this morning where my daughter and I are going to start doing live videos for the Femcanic Garage YouTube channel and probably on the Facebook thing where she's going to teach makeup tips and tricks. She's been doing makeup since she was three years old. She's a lot better now than she was then, but she's really good at it. I am not. But I also know that the premise of Femcanic Garage is debunking these stereotypes and that you can be in male-dominated industries and still wear makeup and still do all these things and feel pretty and be pretty. You don't have to be, air quote, one of the guys or dress like one of the guys. And that's one of the things that I reached out to you about is that your values so perfectly align with Femcan and Garage and my values with the company that it's about taking these old, worn out stereotypes, fill in the blank, and giving us space, giving all the women in the automotive motorsports, skilled trades, space to embrace and step into their femininity even while they're at work. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. But you moved your feet. You didn't just sit around and complain about it. That's how you drive change. And I'd say the follow-up to that is you kept showing up. It wasn't you moved your feet once. You kept showing up. You didn't get investors once. You're continually showing up. That's beautiful. And what an amazing story, Anna. Thank you so much. No, and it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you said so many valuable things that I want to touch on. One thing is you mentioned that women can be feminine in these environments. And we that's exactly what we want to communicate besides making better fitting 
clothing, workwear, and safety shoes for women that allow them to finally be themselves. Women should not try to fit in by dressing like a guy and talk and walk like a dude. That's only a short-term solution. If you want to be really successful in that space, you have to be yourself. And as we all know, what you wear has a huge impact on your confidence. So that's one part of what we're trying trying to do. And the other one is what you're doing with this podcast and share these incredibly powerful stories of women working in the automotive industry. I listened to the podcast episode 10 about the girl. That was so cool. About the girl who came home. I think she was six. She came home and said, mommy, I don't want to be a girl anymore because all the things I like are girls are not supposed to do. And her mom told her like, whatever you like to do, this is okay. Girls can do anything. I think that was such a powerful story. We love to write blog posts about women who, good example is my friend Narissa, who is uh, who works at Harley Davidson. So she's a motor test engineer. So she likes to get dirty working on her motorcycles and working at the company. And then the next moment you could see a picture of her wearing a beautiful dress and a nice hat and be extremely feminine. And like what we want to communicate is you don't have to choose one or the other. You can be feminine and you can still like the things that are considered non-traditional. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a woman I interviewed, her name's Petra and she was a senior person at DuPont and uh, the women industry network um, program. She was a board member on that program for multiple years, very respected in the industry. And she said something profound in the interview that just stuck with me. Petra, she's retired. So when, when you think about when she was coming through the industry, you wanted to talk about a trailblazer. There's a lot more women in the industry now than when she was coming up through it. And she started in Germany with DuPont and then eventually came to the U.S., uh, through sales and different promotions that she received. But her mentor told her early in her career, he said, Petra, don't try being a second-class man. Be a first-class woman. I love that. Oh, my God. I have to remember it. Ooh. Like when she said that, I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. So you've launched the business in 2019. And – it is clear to me that you're a go-getter. What advice would you tell women that, let's say they're kicking around the idea of, but we all have imposter syndrome. Did you ever experience imposter syndrome when you were launching this? Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the biggest reason why people don't start something is because they're so afraid to fail. And I experienced the same thing. Like we had the website development, we had a product. I really had to learn how to redefine failure. I sent out a press release. I couldn't sleep all night. And the only thing I could think of like, oh shoot, like what if people hate my boots? Now my face is in the papers. Like what if we fail? And like, what will people think if I fail? And then I really had to learn how to redefine failure because yeah, it's been... It has been a very time-consuming, unproductive thought, thinking about like all the ways how a company can fail. Like We know the statistics. Statistically, there's always a good chance that most of the companies will not survive. Only a few will live on a long time. But um, I listened to a bunch of um, kind of studies where they interviewed old people and asked them, like, what do you regret in life? And usually they would mention things like, I regret the things that I haven't tried and not the things that I have failed at. And one huge inspiration to me is founder Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. She is amazing. She's so cool. She really is. And she has this really interesting definition of failure. She says, failure is not the outcome. Failure is not trying. So that's kind of the new definition I try to live by. And I'm like, I'm learning so much along the way. In a startup, you fail multiple times along the way and you just have to get comfortable with this idea and like try to learn as much as possible from the mistakes that you make and move on like there is no time to be consumed by a mistake that may have happened yeah i've had like 13 failed businesses but each time i've learned skills from each failure my kids looked at me like i was cross-eyed this morning 
because that's when I shared with them, <laughs> guys, I'm more interested in you sharing with me how many times you fail every day. And you would have thought that I told him to go jump off of a bridge or something when I said that. Like they were so dumbfounded by that. And I told him, I said, I genuinely mean that. If all you come to me is and tell me all the things that you got right, that tells me you're not living outside of your comfort zone. You're not taking uncomfortable action. That's how you evolve. And that's exactly what you did. (laughs) When you quit a stable job and you go out and take a chance, you may fail. You could have failed, right? But you didn't. I can't remember where I heard this, but the rocking chair test. When you're older and I'm sitting down in that rocking chair reflecting on my life, ask yourselves, if I don't do this, is it going to be exactly what you just said, Hannah? Will I regret not doing it? Not knowing. I I like it. I've never heard about that comparison about the rocking chair test, but I I think this, this is so powerful to think. What will I potentially regret later? And I should better give it a shot. And at least to find out, at least know that I have tried. Yes. Yes. And all the learning and experience. Oh my goodness. Yes. Right. And your story really anchors into me the message of enjoy the journey. You lived in multiple countries. You know, multiple languages. You've moved, not just to another state, other countries completely starting over, taking a chance on a company here in the United States. I mean, it isn't about the result. This is about enjoying the journey along the way. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Anna, but some of my fondest memories and sometimes the funniest memories I have is not when things went the way I expected them to go at all. Yeah, that's often the case. And I honestly, I had to learn how to enjoy the journey. And I would love to hear about your experience. Because in the beginning, it's if you're trying to chase the goal, once you'll get it, you will want more. And I really had to slow down a bit. um, Because I got myself to a point of complete burnout. I thought I'm a machine and I can work every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I can book three trips in a row, uh, arriving in the evening, repacking my suitcase at nine and leaving at 5 a.m. with a keynote speaking event in between. And like by the end of those three trips, I realized like, oh my God, I'm really burned out. And I have to slow down and try to take care of my body and enjoy the ride because I will not be successful based on my own definition. If I will burn through my health, mm-hmm. ruin all of my relationships with friends and family, because uh, there was a time where I, I had to say no to everything. And had the constant feeling of guilt. I decided, okay, started taking one day off. I started taking Sundays off. Now I'm at the point where I'm taking Saturday and Sunday off most of the time. Good job. (laughs) We'll be going on our first one week vacation after three years. It's an attempt at least. Uh (laughs) It's a start. It's a start. Exactly. That's beautiful. I, I just absolutely love it. I feel like this is a good time to launch into the red line round because I'm pretty excited to ask you these questions because I'm curious what your answers are. Of course. So what the red line round is, just five rapid fire questions. No right or wrong answer. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? Cool. Let's do this. All righty. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Tell me a little bit about that. My son loves him. Um, I talked about, I debated about him with my parents yesterday. Basically, I love to read biographies uh, of inspiring people. And Elon Musk's biography was one of the first ones that I read. And I thought, holy cow, like this guy started PayPal and Tesla and SolarCity and SpaceX. Now the boring company. There's a lot of people who don't know that he's the one that started PayPal. (laughs) That's what I told my parents yesterday. I'm like, oh, we just talked about PayPal. Did you know that Elon Musk invented PayPal? And I thought, if this guy who (laughs) inspires me so much can start all of these companies, I can start at least one, at least one really amazing company that makes a difference in the world. And I love that he's not driven by money at some point you just have enough money it's not about the money it's having a real impact in the world 
Uh, he's he's just a machine. I'm like I'm not at that level where I think he sleeps like five or six hours a night. And for a time, he was sleeping on the manufacturing floor to keep things moving at Tesla. And I love this story when he initially he wanted just to send a few rockets into space to do some exploration and went to Russia to discuss this. And those guys in Russia were just making fun of him. And I think they charged $7 million per rocket launch. They just got drunk and were making fun of him. On the flight home, while his friends were getting drunk on the plane, he opened up his spreadsheet and decided like, you know what, I'm going to launch my own rocket company. So that's how he started. Yeah, I'm so inspired by him and so many other founders, including Sarah Blakely is another one who is incredibly inspiring, especially from a female perspective, because men yeah. and women have a different approach to business. And I can relate to so many things Sarah Blakely talks about. I agree. I so agree. Oh, man. Yes. You and I could talk for I hours, Anna, because I'm trying not to go down rabbit holes. <laughs> it's sorry. so hard. I'm, I'm like, oh my a God. Short answer. No, no, it's all good. I asked another open-ended question. So here's question two for you. Where or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you feel stuck? YouTube. YouTube is the number one educational platform. Is there particular YouTube channels or literally you just kind of search? It really depends. For whatever topic. I subscribe to a lot of them, but I I learned so much through YouTube. Uh, some of it is investment related. I did not know anything about the investment world until March of 2020. So I bought three different books and started watching a million YouTube videos. What were your three books out of curiosity? Do you recall? Um, I think the best one I would recommend is from Tony Robbins, Money Master the Game. It's a little older, mm -hmm. but he's interviewing so many interesting people, including Ray Dalio. So then the second book would be uh, Ray Dalio. And uh, what's the third one? Attraction is more business related not really investment related, but another really good book for startup founders. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. What excites you most about what you're doing right now with your company? Um, I love to hear feedback from women that it makes a difference in their lives. That's something because there are so many days where it's really rough and then you need things that keep you going and hearing from women that they feel more confident at work, that they love to wear their boots and the like, using that confidence to go for more bold career choices and just having a better time in this industry and, and showing up for their teams. And I think that's, that's just amazing. Feeling amazing in what you're wearing allows you to operate in a space of authenticity more often. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And that's what I think what you're doing is so powerful it's like, okay, now there's women, more women than ever in the industry. Now we need to equip them for the next level. Thank you for showing up every day. Now let's give you what you need that honors your femininity versus just buying a smaller size man boot. Mm -hmm. And being <laughs> distracted by your clothing. You should be 100% focused on your job and the safety. I think that should be just... Yeah. Thing you don't have to think about. You should just feel good about yourself and focus on yes. your exciting career. And just to be clear, your company offers clothing and shoes. Yeah. Our main focus is on steel-toed boots. That is the biggest pain point for women. And everyone who had to wear steel toes had, can relate to this um, because they at some point had to wear men's shoes <laughs> that are usually they're uncomfortable and look clunky. But then over time, we get so many requests for additional workwear that we'll get into. And one of the things that we tackled so far are more functional blazers. I basically designed things I always wanted to have myself working in manufacturing. I hated my pants mm -hmm. and blazers with fake pockets. I needed to bring safety glasses, oh. earplugs, a pen, my phone, like a bunch of things with me to the meeting or out on the shop floor. You don't carry a purse with you around. I hated those days when I realized, oh, shoot, my... It's so true. They're fake pockets. Like, you can only fit your hand yeah. in up to, like, your first knuckle. It's so frustrating. <laughs> it's like, why bother? So I decided to... Simple concept. Making blazers that have multiple pockets, functional pockets. One of them is kind of a secure jewelry pocket for rings that are not allowed on the shop floor. Jewelry or your keys. The blazers are machine washable because... Wait, back up. 
Say that again? Like, you have designed pockets in these jackets for you to put your jewelry in. Yeah, that's a very manufacturing-specific thing. And I think a few construction companies don't allow jewelry either. So in many facilities, you're not allowed to wear rings. Because they can get caught mm-hmm. in machinery and rip off your finger. Or Which like makes you sense. Or like the dangly, what I'm wearing now. Like I think of mechanics and stuff yeah, too. Exactly. Right? When you're working in a car, you should probably not have any dangly jewelry hanging, <laughs> hanging mm-hmm. around. I know multiple people who lost their rings, especially wedding rings, because they shoved them in their tiny little pocket. And then you pull something out and it falls out. Exactly. So I created this very simple pocket where you have a swivel hook where you can clip your ring or jewelry in. And then in addition, you have a zipper to secure it so you know it's all safe. And when you travel, I put some cash in there, my travel documents. That is brilliant. See, that right there, folks, shows you the difference between a man designing something for women and a woman designing for women. That right there is the difference. Yeah. Now, basically, I'm designing for myself and I'm always hoping somebody else will like it. And then the other aspect of it is very simple, making it machine washable, because sometimes you're in a fancy meeting room, and then the next minute you could be in a dirty, dusty shop floor or job site or um, work on a car. So you need things that you can throw into a washing machine. So that was important. Yeah, not have to dry clean everything. Yeah, we have better things to do than going to the dry cleaner. Yes, I, I hear you. Oh, I love it. This is purely out of curiosity. Your shoes, are they... I know because I I own a pair and I had to do the research as well, but I've had mine for years before your company even came around. Carbon fiber or actual steel? I know that for shoes, they're using both now. Yeah, there are so many different materials. Right now we use steel toe caps, but we're working on a carbon fiber right now. We did develop a composite toe cap, but then decided to scrap it because in order to withstand the same force as steel, composite has to be so much bigger than Mm -hmm. you're back to the huge bulky boots. So the next material that we're working with is carbon fiber and fiberglass. We're experimenting with both in parallel and hope to Mm -hmm. pass the testing soon and launch a carbon fiber toe cap in 2022. Nice. Because the the benefit of that is it's lighter. Yeah, it's lighter. And, you know, there are some facilities that have magnets and you're not allowed to have any metal. Or some women who work in the very cold zones in construction all day long, steel is so conductive, could get cold at some point. So a different material would be beneficial. That's why I moved to carbon fiber. Is mm-hmm. I live in Ohio. And not that we have the crazy cold, but I left my boots in the garage and if i wanted to wear them like it was literally freezing like i my toes could never Mm -hmm. stay warm it was unnerving after a while when your feet if it's constantly that cold it's just aggravating that's another reason to invest in a new material nice 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 what is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged, a personal habit? Mm. Taking some time for myself. I I felt really stuck this weekend. I I was at a conference last week and I didn't get anything. I had a full inbox. I had so many things to do. I have to raise funding this week. And I was so overwhelmed and didn't even know where to start. And what works for me is to say, okay, like yesterday in the morning, I decided to go to the lake and sit by the beach for an hour. And overall, I implemented this new rule that I don't look at my phone the first hour of the day. Because I used to wake up and grab my phone and the first sentence of the day used to be, oh shoot, because <laughs> there's an email that I forgot to send out or someone says, I hate your boots because you'll always have it. <laughs> Not everyone will love what you design. And like having that first thought of the day being oh shoot like it's or something bad is so negative um i in the morning don't look at my phone i make myself my athletic green drink or drink a lot of water go for a walk i spend some time just sitting in the backyard short breathing exercises for some reason i cannot do meditation i know it's been super powerful for a lot of people that's something i'm not great at but I just take some time for myself in the morning, then get my coffee, and then I sit down at my laptop and I'm ready for whatever the day will bring, like including the crazy day today. I'm like, I got this. I love it. You said something that interests me, Anna. 
and you're so casual about all of it. And they're like mic drop moments. And I got to like pause you to make sure the listeners catch it. Is that not everyone will like what you make Mm -hmm. or do. How do you deal with that? Because it's hard. I know it's hard. In the beginning, I got very upset about it. And there were a few tears. But I think over time, you have to develop a thicker skin and just have to accept the reality that you have people with different opinions, different backgrounds in the world. And some people will not like what you do. And that's okay. Like, and you should not try to convince the few people who don't like it. And, you know, but that's the reason why I designed them. And this is, that's why I selected this feature. And this is the purpose. Instead, let them have their opinion and focus on the people who get it, who support you and who see value in what you do. I think you will get so much further by, by focusing on that. To help you get through those things, do you have like a community, like a group of women or family members or someone that kind of helps through that? I mean, my husband has to listen <laughs> to a lot of these things. But, you know, he, he has been really awesome. In the beginning, I did a lot of customer service work, but because he's so connected to the warehouse and our inventory can provide the best recommendations for the sizes and knows like, okay, if you need this size, I know I have like two pairs left or I have 20 pairs left. So he has been handling customer service and did really well. Now we have another team member in Detroit, Haley, who has been incredibly supportive on the customer service side and social media management. So we have a good team. Anna, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in this industry? Follow your passion, whether you find passion by doing the things that bring you joy or by thinking about the things that you're frustrated about. There are two different ways to identify your personal passion and just Trust your gut feeling. Don't be afraid to fail and know that you have a supportive network around you. There are people who are there and are willing to support you. It's just a matter of reaching out to them and yeah, just giving it a try. It sounds so simple, but that's truly, that's truly it. And being an entrepreneur can sometimes feel lonely, can it? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Especially during COVID, you can probably relate to oh. that. It's, it's been very tough enough not to have that community of founders we used to go to happy hours all the time then you would talk to someone and say hey i have this one problem like i know you went through a similar situation how did you handle it like it's been so isolating but i think mm-hmm. everyone had to kind of find their virtual community and i'm so excited that we're going back to more in-person events tell me if you feel this way i, I wish more people would message me sometimes i feel like people see the business on the outside and already like debunk the idea or the thought of, no, I'm not going to reach out to them because they're too busy and they're not going to respond anyway. And I don't know about you, Anna, but I really love listeners reaching out to me and sharing their story about, hey, I listened to this, this episode and this is what or how it impacted me. Mm-hmm. And I read every one of those. Every single one of those. Yeah, I love that. We always encourage um, our customers or someone who does not have our products to either call us or email us with ideas for improvements or for other products that they would like to see. They're so used to companies who don't care. So sometimes they're probably surprised when we get back to them and say, hey, we thank you for your idea. We added it to the list. And once in a while, schedule calls with women in different industries to learn more about their needs and share the products that we're working on and ask them about the features they actually care about. So yeah, always please connect with us on different social media channels. Send me a connection request on LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform, Anna or Anastasia Craft. So I would love to connect and answer any questions related to how to start a company or anything related to work. We're always super excited to connect. So LinkedIn under Anastasia Craft, Mm -hmm. and I'll include those links in the um, summary as well. And what about like Instagram and Facebook? Do you have company pages set up for those? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, it's Xena Workwear and Xena spelled X-E-N-A. Same for Facebook, Xena Workwear. We do have a LinkedIn page as well. Um, I think that's it. You said LinkedIn's probably the best though. Yeah. Oh, we just started on TikTok. If anyone likes TikTok. Also look us up at Xena Workwear. We had our first viral post in July. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> 
that's really cool. It's sometimes fascinating how viral posts work. It's so unpredictable. Define viral because like viral for Instagram counts and TikTok's different and all of those versus Facebook. Um, I think we had over three and a half million views and about 700,000 engagement. What was the video about? It was basically a super short video about this is what people think we make. And we showed a few like really pink, bright boots. And then it says like, this is what we actually make and showing a few pictures with a specific sound, showing a few pictures of our Xena workwear boots and somehow it took off. Well, congratulations. That's huge. And was that recent? Yeah, that was in July. (laughs) (laughs) Not long ago at all. Did you like click back on it and you're like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And the surprising thing is I even thought for a second, like, I'm not sure if this is like up to our company's standards because it's not like super polished. The content you put, put out on TikTok is not as polished as on Instagram or LinkedIn, for example. And then Mm -hmm. I thought like, you know, everything is a test and learn. Why don't we give it a shot? So our awesome social media manager, Haley, who created it, put it out there and it really took off. And she did such an amazing job (laughs) replying to all the comments, answering any questions. So that was wild. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Pure curiosity. Why, Why this company name? Um, I brainstormed a few names with my friends and I asked them, okay, I need a name that sounds like a badass woman. And they threw out multiple, I don't remember all of them, but Xena was in the mix. I'm like, Xena sounds very strong and it's so different. So isn't she a goddess? Many people connected with Xena, the warrior princess. We never use it in our marketing, but that's that's often the connection. That's what I'm thinking (laughs) of. Yes. That is outstanding. That's the only other name I know. Female empowerment for sure. Well, Anna, I really appreciate you sitting down and sharing your story. And I will tell any and all Femcanic listeners, go check it out. And if you don't see something that you're really looking for, Anna, correct me if I'm wrong, but they can reach out and make suggestions and ideas. Yeah, we love it. We love it when women reach out and share about their stories and And I love that women are finally stepping up inside their companies. They have been accepting these terrible shoes and the terrible gear (laughs) that they had and are now saying like, you know, usually it's not the safety managers who are driving the change or in many cases, men who just don't understand that this is a problem. It's women working inside these companies saying, you know what, myself and all the women around me need better fitting pants, safety shoes, vests, whatever that may be. And those are the kind of the women who are driving change inside the companies. And I'm super excited to see that. It's time to stop sitting silent for sure. Absolutely. And I I even tossed out an idea in our pre-interview. I'm like, hey, figure out something for our hair so we stop running over it on our creepers. (laughs) We can get our hair up. And then it maybe saves our hair from having oil and grease on it, you know? So yeah. Men don't have quite the challenges with hair. There's some men with longer hair, but we pose a different kind of challenge around it. No, that's a really cool idea. I, I never thought about it before we we talked about this topic. I'm like, oh my God, now it makes total sense. Why isn't it out on the market already? Yeah. Jamie, we should at some point team up on this. Well, ladies, if, if you have some ideas, share them with Anna. You would be putting it in the hands of a woman that moves her feet and actually researches it. And we have a real shot at bringing it to market. So who knows, you may even find some women who would test drive it for you. Oh yeah, I'll reach out to you. (laughs) And beat it up. (laughs) Anna, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I cannot wait to sit back and watch your journey continue to unfold. It's going to be fun. Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me on. It was such a fun conversation. I know that our 30-minute interview, prep interview, ended up being two hours because it was so interesting. <laughs> and we kept, <laughs> we have so many topics that we are both interested in. I can't wait to meet you in person, to meet you for a beer. It will definitely yes. happen. I'll, I'll do bourbon. I'll do Woodford and ginger beer with you. How's that? Yeah, done. We'll do some bourbon. Bourbon, good. Thanks again, Anna. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anna Kraft. CEO and founder of Zena Workwear, I'm a femcanic. 
Trish Hortzman is in the driver's seat next. She grew up in her dad's garage and bike shop. She is an artist by trade and has combined her trade with her passion for all things mechanical. For over a decade, she was the marketing and graphic designer for Baker Drivetrain and then fell into the art and writing for Throttle Gals magazine. Be sure to tune in next week to learn Trisha's story as a full-time entrepreneur and tattoo artist. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?